Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, the 10th of May, 2020, and wherever you're from and however you're engaging with this service this morning, you are incredibly welcome. Let me just remind you that Alan Burke, my colleague and friend from Cross Gar, is also preaching today. You can watch his sermon tonight or indeed this morning and me tonight. It's up to you. And please make use of those sermons as we continue to do our best to make isolation a little bit more normal. And also today, let me just say that our WhatsApp group continues, but I'm aware that not everybody's on WhatsApp, but a lot of you do have a mobile phone. If you've got a mobile and you would like the daily devotions and other wee bits and pieces texted to you, then let me know or pass on a message to me and I'll put you on the normal text group, if you like, and you too will be included in all that we're trying to do. Those are all the announcements and we gather today to worship God. And in the 24th Psalm, questions are asked. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? We ponder these things and we do not need to search too far for an answer. Because in the very next verse, we are told the one who can do this is the one with clean hands, a pure heart, whose soul is not lifted up to false things and who does not swear deceitfully. My brothers and sisters, we may read this and wonder who can stand then, who can worship, who can draw near. You and I can because we have trusted in Christ. He is the one who has got clean hands. He is the one whose heart is pure, whose soul is not lifted up to falsehood and who does not swear deceitfully. Because of Christ, because we are in Christ by faith, then we can ascend the hill of the Lord. And today, we can stand in the holy place. We gather together to worship God. Let us sing. Faithful one, so unchanging. Ageless one. You're my rock of peace, Lord of all, I depend on you, I call out to of trust. 
before the Lord and I in prayer. Let us pray. Father, as we draw near to you this morning, we are mindful that none of us have clean hands and pure hearts. Lord God, none of us on our own would be able to ascend the hill of the Lord or, or to stand in the holy place. But today we are confident because we are in Christ. He is the one with the clean hands and the pure heart. And because we have received him by faith, then his righteousness has been credited to our account. And we can stand with confidence before you today. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. Great was his goodness towards us. He took on our redemption. He consented to be made sin for us. He has conquered all our foes. And great was his strength. He endured the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. And he took away all of our iniquities and transgressions and sins. And great was his love. He rose again from the dead and he showed his wounds to the disciples. He has chased away all our fears and he has removed all of our doubts. And great was Christ's mercy. He ascended to heaven. There he is crowned and enthroned. There he intercedes for us. There he strengthens us in days of temptation. There he unfolds the scroll of history. And there one day he will receive us unto himself. Father, what great wisdom it was. That salvation belongs to God. Father, we marvel at the size and scale of the plan of salvation. And Father, great is the grace of God poured out upon us. We're able to come today to this place to worship you with confidence. We know that we are secure eternally. We know that one day in Jesus we will have eternal rest. Today we have found in Jesus perfect peace. One day we will behold his glory. One day we will be able to sing and honor and praise him forever and father even today great is your grace and forgiveness so lord forgive us we pray we repent of our many sins and we ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness And Father, thank you that when we leave this place, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us power and guidance. He teaches us. He convicts us of sin. He leads us in the paths of repentance. Father, life for us is never perfect. And at times we feel like absolute, utter disappointment. But today we rejoice that we are children of God. 
And we can pray in the name of Jesus, confident that we will be heard. And so we pray, together saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Boys and girls, it's that time again. It's the children's address. Uh, today, I'm going to hand over to my friend and colleague, David James McConkey, who is coming to us this morning from his home down in the deepest, darkest parts of Middleston. We'll hand over now to Dave. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be back with you again. And today, I have my good friend, Professor Westminster, holding the camera. You, you won't see him, but say hello, Professor. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Okay, so, over the last few weeks, boys and girls, Scott has taught us that this book, the very last book in the Bible, Revelation, is an apocalypsis, a revealing. And then over the last few weeks, we've learned who Jesus is revealed to be, right? So, we've heard that he is worthy to be king, unlike maybe Queen Eden of Grove. Uh, and last week we heard how he is the Lion of Judah, the one promised to Judah all those years ago back in Genesis. But today, we get to another name, where Jesus is called the Root of David. Now, that's kind of another odd title. Uh, we read it there in Revelation chapter 5, and it appears again in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22.16 says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the Root and the Descendant of David the bright morning star. So the question for us this morning is, what does that all mean? And to understand that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. Oh, great. I love the Old Testament. Yeah, I'm glad, Professor. Me too. Now, we probably all know something about David. We probably all know that he killed Goliath when he was a boy. We maybe know that he grew up to be Israel's greatest king. But here's something you might not know. I probably do know, Dave. I am very clever, you know. <laughs> okay, well, Professor, let's try. Um, God made David a promise. And he promised him that his family would reign forever. Oh, yes, yes, I did know that. In fact, I even know the verse. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. <laughs> It says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. <laughs> That's the one. Thanks, Professor. Now, about a thousand years had passed since God had made that promise. Had he forgotten about it? Or, or worse, had he broken his promise? Oh no, of course not, Dave. He never does that. That's right. Of course, God never does that. Jesus had arrived. And so here in Revelation 5 and again in Revelation 22, God is revealing and confirming that Jesus is the one. This is the promised king. The one he promised would come from David's family all those years ago. Jesus is the one who will reign forever. But this verse maybe says even more than that. So look, I've gone and pulled out a plant from my garden. I don't know what kind of plant it is, but Professor, do you know which part of a plant grows first? No, Dave, I don't. I'm not a professor of the biology. Ah, well, in that case, let me help you out. Because when you plant a seed, the first thing that grows are the roots. Because, you see, without the root, you can't really have a plant. The plant can only survive and grow if there's a root there first. Oh, I see! So, you see, here in Revelation, it is revealed and confirmed that Jesus isn't just 
the great, 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 great grandson of King David, the promised king, the promised king who would reign forever, but also that Jesus was there before David was. Jesus is the eternal son of God. David's life and his kingdom were granted to him by Jesus. Jesus has been there forever and ever and ever. And yes, Jesus came from David's family tree, but he is greater than David. He is the root of David, the source of David's life. Just like if you have no root, you have no plant. Without Jesus, there's no King David. So, boys and girls, Jesus is worthy to be king. He is the Lion of Judah and he is the root of David. He is the fulfillment of the promises that God made all through the Old Testament. He was the one God's people had been waiting for for thousands of years. Their waiting was over. Back to you, Scott. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you to Dave and boys and girls, it's good to see Dave again and God willing it'll not be too long before we can see him and everybody else in our church again in the flesh. But boys and girls, we're going to sing now. I don't know if you're singing or not, I don't know if you're just lying on the sofa on your gadget or you know just counting the minutes until the service is over, but please don't boys and girls, sing your wee hearts out, sing so your next door neighbours can hear you, but let's gather now to praise God. Now this is a song which is called From My Knees to My Nose and so it's got actions within the song which you're going to have to be moving around to so when it says your knees you've got to point to your knees when it says your nose you've got to point to your nose and so on but if you remember right at the very end of the song it says and he knows that my name is and that's the part where you've got to shout out your name and fill in that gap Okay, are you ready? Here we go. From my knees to my nose, from my head to my toes, does God know all about me? Well, if I'm happy or sad, if I'm good or I'm bad, does God know all about me? The answer is yes, and he loves me the best, though he knows everything about me. The answer is yes, and he loves me the best, and he knows that my name is... And not bad singing, pretty, pretty good, but this next time I want to do it, I want you to shout out your nickname. From my knees to my nose, from my head to my toes, does God know all about me? Well, if I'm happy or sad, if I'm good or I'm bad, does God know all about me? The answer is yes, and he loves me the best, and he knows everything about me. The answer is yes, and he loves me the best, and he knows that my name is... We turn to the Word of God now, and this morning we are in Revelation 7. Let me just remind you of how we're choosing these passages. Uh, myself and Alan, we write devotions throughout the course of the week. Those devotions take you from the first few books of the Bible all the way to the book of Revelation, the last book. So if you read our devotions on Monday, you will find that we are in the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis through to Deuteronomy. Now by the time you get into the end of the week, we hit the Gospels and then the pastoral epistles and then on Saturday, the book of Revelation. And so if you listen to Alan, he will have preached from one of the passages that he has written about. Uh, and I like to work on my way through a book. It just helps my limited mental faculties. And so I've decided to, to preach through the book of Revelation. So that's what we're doing it for. There's motive in our madness. We're not sure how long this is going to last, but by God's grace, uh, we will give you devotions for every day of the week and then two sermons on a Sunday. But today we're in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, so if you've got your Bible there at home, please open it up uh, and we're going to get into this passage. Revelation 7 and verse 1, and then we'll read the very first verse as well of Revelation chapter 8. If you're just joining us, then where we've got to thus far, we meet Jesus in chapter 1. He is glorified. He is risen. Uh, he is our great high priest. 
He speaks to his church in chapters 2 and 3. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we see the heavenly throne room. The Lord God Almighty is on the throne. The Spirit before the throne. And Jesus comes and takes the right hand, out of the right hand a scroll that is sealed up with seven seals. And he begins to unfold it. Last week in Revelation 6, we, we read about how the first six seals were opened up. And we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the persecuted church, and the day of judgment all being unfolded. And so Jesus shows us here what history is going to be like in the period between his departure from this earth, his ascension, and his return. These are the days that we're living in. We can expect wars, rumors of wars, famine, scarcity, difficulty, a persecuted church. But it is coming to a close with the day of judgment. You might think that as we jump into chapter 7, it immediately is going to be the next seal, the seventh seal. But that's not the case. There's a little interlude which is of wonderful encouragement for the church of Jesus Christ. So let's read God's word. This is God's word. And we thank him for it. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have seen the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God and they said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them by day, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Amen. And we thank God for his word. A long time ago, when I was training for the ministry in the Presbyterian Church, a grizzled veteran of our denomination came to speak to us as students and told us and counseled us to never resign on a Monday. I didn't really understand then what he meant. After all, most of us as assistants would go to churches where we were seen as the golden children, where the assistant could do no wrong. 
But then came the day that we were called to our own congregations. And then came the many days where we would wake on Monday with a real case of depression upon us. We would wake and we would look at all the things that we did wrong the day before. Every sermon I have ever preached, I planned for it to be a good sermon. People to be fed and challenged and taught and the gospel to go forward. Many a Monday, I wake up and I don't feel that I have hit the mark. Or someone says something at the door or indeed doesn't say something at the door. And it's like a dagger in your heart. Or someone assigns to you their worst possible motives and they haven't even sought to ask your opinion or your counsel. Never resign on a Monday was the advice given and I realise today that it was good advice. Often for ministers, Monday seems like the world has come to an end. But I don't think you need to be a minister to understand what that piece of wisdom was all about. I look at you today, my brothers and sisters, and I ask you to your eye, to your face, as if it's just me and you, as you consider your Christian life, is it a bit of a disappointment? You look at your Christian walk and the times where you have been passionate and zealous in the gift of prayer are few and far between. You listen to those men and women who come to the church and they tell us about how they've led many to the Lord in the past week. And somewhere in the depths of your soul, you know and realize that you've never led anyone to the Lord that you know of. You still struggle to read the Bible. And sometimes, although you don't tell anybody when the word is being preached, you really don't get it. It sweeps over your head and, and you don't really know what the minister was talking about, but you'll say to him at the door anyway, that was lovely, thank you very much. My brother and sisters, are you struggling in your faith? Are you a bit of a disappointment? Are you someone who looks at your life and feels that it's all been a bit of a letdown? Why do I start here? Is it to make you feel bad? Is it to make you feel even worse? No, that is not my intention today. That's certainly not my motive. I don't want any one of you resigning yourself from the Christian faith tomorrow morning. Instead, I begin in this place to encourage you. Because what follows Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 7 is an interlude that is full of encouragement for the church of Jesus Christ. We have heard in chapter 6 how that we are going to live in difficult days. From the time of Christ's ascension to his return, there is going to be trouble and toil and turmoil for the church. God's judgment is already kindled on this earth and we see that in the actions of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There will be wars and rumours of wars and there will be bloodshed and peace will be taken from this earth. Many will lose their lives as a result of these wars and many will lose their lives in earthquakes and famine and in days of scarcity. We will see death, we will weep at funerals. The days of the Christian church on this earth are going to be difficult ones. And not only that, but as the fifth seal was opened, we met the martyred saints. The church is despised and rejected and persecuted on this earth. We've heard all of these things. And as the sixth seal is opened, a day of judgment comes, a day filled with terror and wrath that the kings and the mighty of this earth, all the way down to the slaves in the street, call upon the mountains to collapse on them and to hide them away from the wrath of the Lamb. And as chapter 6 comes to a close, the question goes up. The day of the wrath of God has come. And who can stand? We ask that question of ourselves, don't we? In the darkness of the night and looking at ourselves in the mirror, we ask that question. And maybe even as believers, there's a, a nagging doubt in us at times that we won't stand. We won't stand. My sermons haven't been good enough. We haven't seen people converted as we would have liked. We've said things and done things and acted in foolish ways and in manners that we regret. We won't stand. And we've already started this service by Psalm 24 that also asks the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? 
Who can stand in the holy place? And the answer comes only the one with clean hands and a pure heart. And, and we read these verses and we ask this question, who can stand in the day of judgment? And the, the depth of our soul, we think, not me. Not me. My life has been a disappointment. As a wife, as a daughter, as a husband, as a son, as a preacher, as an engineer, as a farmer, as a friend, there's been no area in my life where I have excelled, no point in my life that, that's made me feel as if I'm on the right track. Who can stand? Not me. Not me. And I know the preachers tell us that, that the one who trusts in Christ will never be put to shame, but in the depths of our souls, my brothers and sisters, we feel ashamed and we're secretly concerned and worried that we will not reach the finishing line. Who will stand? Not me. Not me. My brothers and sisters, if you've ever considered this to be true about yourself, if even this hour and this day in the middle of COVID-19, you believe this to be true about yourself, then Revelation chapter 7 is an interlude. It is a chapter filled with encouragement for the Christian who is not sure they're going to get to the finishing line. Chapter 6 ends with that question, who will stand? And the answer that chapter 7 gives is the church will stand. Chapter 7 begins where John looks and sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Again, the number four is significant. We've said this before in these sermons. No doubt we will say it again. When we come across the number four, it denotes creation. We've met the four living creatures. And here, these four angels go to the four corners of the earth. We're thinking about creation. And they're given a very specific purpose. Because they go and they are to hold back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And another angel comes and soon we see why these four angels are holding back the judgment of God. Because another angel comes in verse 2. He is ascending from the rising of the sun and he comes with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea. And he says to them in verse 3, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Do you see what's going on here, my brothers and sisters? John sees the status of the church here on earth. How will the church be able to stand in these days of judgment? How will the church be able to stand in these days of trial? How will the church be able to stand even in their own lack of obedience, even in their own weakness? How will the church endure? Because the church of Jesus Christ is sealed by God himself. You often will think about your weakness, my friend, you will often consider the, the failures of your life and your existence. You will often read the Bible and you will listen to God's word and you will quake and you think that you're another failure as a human, as a person, as a mother, as a friend, as a son, as a Christian. But hear me when I say this to you. Child of God, you will not be put to shame. Hear me as I say this to you. Your standing with God is not based on your performance. Today, the one who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. The one who has trusted Jesus by faith will never be put to shame. And I don't just say this crossing my fingers and hoping it's true. I say it because I believe it's true. And I see it in the pages of the Holy Book. In Revelation 7, before the, the horsemen ride forward, before the wars and rumors of wars and famines and scarcity and death, before any of this takes place, the Lord sends forth his angel to seal his servants on their forehead. The Lord knows us by name and the Lord has sealed us for the final day. My brothers, what an encouragement this is. 
My sisters, what a joy it is in our hearts when we consider these things to be true. It is, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19, God's firm foundation stands and we bear this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And indeed in Ephesians 1 and 13 to 14, Paul writes this. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And the sealing of the saints of God is something that we're familiar with in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 3 and verse 12, Jesus promises that the one who conquers will have Christ's name written upon him. And indeed in Revelation 14 and verse 1, we see the same thing. John looks and beholds on Mount Zion, standing the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. My brothers and sisters, we as men and women of faith, stand every single day in weakness and disappointment. We as men and women of the faith, every single Monday may consider that letter of resignation. We as men and women of the faith will rarely scale the heights that we think we should reach, that we demand of ourselves, that others demand of ourselves. We will know disappointment in this life. But when it comes to our standing with the Lord, we will stand because we are in Christ. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. These are days of trouble. The horsemen ride forward, days of trial for the church and indeed for this earth. But the church is known and numbered and sealed and protected by the Lord God Almighty. How could it be anything else? You know, as, as Reformed believers, we consider our God to be a covenant God. In the beginning of the Bible, we, we see the covenant of works. The covenant between the Lord and between the first man, Adam. And Adam was to obey, and, and by reason of his obedience, he would know life. He would know life eternal. He would not die. He would not suffer. He would not know pain. But Adam and Eve disobey, they fall, the covenant of works is broken, the curse falls upon humanity. And Jesus comes as the one who is going to keep the other covenant, the covenant of grace. God speaks in Genesis 3 and he promises that a child is coming, the seed of the woman is coming, and he is coming to end the curse. He is coming to crush the serpent's head and Jesus is that one. My brothers and sisters, the Lord could no more write you out of his book than he could destroy and rip up the covenant of grace. Jesus comes to die for all who have been written in the Lamb's book. Jesus comes to die for the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to die for all of his bride, the church. And today, weak and weary and stumbling and worried and disappointed Christian, Jesus is for you and his name is upon you. You will stand in the judgment. And no matter how dark these days become, you will stand and you will persevere to the very end. The four angels hold back all that is to come until the bride of Christ is sealed. And then John sees the bride and he hears the number of them. 144,000. And my friends, as we, we see this and we read this passage, it is a controversial one. There are many people who take this passage to mean many things. For example, you perhaps have had those Jehovah's Witnesses calling at your door and the 144,000 for them are the, the total number of those who will see heaven, who will be saved. Or others have said the 144,000 is, is a select number of Jews who come to believe after the days of great tribulation. But, but my friends, I humbly disagree with all of that. I believe what we see here is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that we, we look at these numbers and we look at this picture and we are meant to have comfort that the church are numbered and sealed and will stand through these days of trouble on this earth. And I'm not just making that up. 
As I've already said to you in these days, numbers in the book of Revelation mean something. And when we have met already the church of Jesus Christ, the number 12 has been significant. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles in the New Testament. 12 plus 12 is the number 24. My math isn't good, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And so we have already met 24 elders in heaven representing the church of Jesus Christ. 12 plus 12. And so although my maths is not good, and perhaps yours is the same, when we see this number here, 144,000, how do we get it? 12 times 12 times 1,000 is 144,000. In the book of Revelation, the number 1,000 is seen as a number of great scale, great size, great quantity. And so the period of history that we live in is considered the period of the 1,000 years of Revelation 20. Now, there have been more than 1,000 years since Christ left this earth, but the 1,000 years is given to us as a number to denote a time period of great significance and great length. So here, when we meet the 144,000, it's 12 by 12 times 1,000 equals 144,000, and we see the church numbered and gathered on this earth, the church who will stand. My brothers and sisters, I do not look forward to days of trouble and trial and tribulation, but I do look forward to them with confidence, knowing that the bride of Christ will never be put to shame. And by faith today, my brothers and sisters, you are part of that bride. John looks and he sees the church, and the church are sealed on their foreheads, and they are numbered. Isn't that a beautiful image of God's care and protection and provision for his church? He knows them and there isn't a single one who is going to slip through his finger. And I know sometimes that the enemy would like you to believe that you are so insignificant and so imperfect that the Lord could never ever save someone like you. I know sometimes in churches that it seems to be all about the guy up at the front, the, the people that are well-known, the well-established Christian, the elite. But my brothers and sisters, forgive us if we've ever given that impression. Forgive me as a minister if I've ever made it seem as if it's all about the boy up in the pulpit. It's not. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus has died for the sins of his bride, the church. And Jesus knows the names of his bride, the church. And Jesus has numbered his bride, the church. And there isn't a single one of them who will be lost. Jesus made that clear in John's gospel when he said it was the will of the Father that none would be lost. But Jesus would save them and raise them up on the last day. This is what waits for us as part of the bride of Jesus Christ. We see that image there of security. We see the sealing of the church, the keeping of the church. The church will persevere to the finishing line. But some of you look at this and you think, well, Scott, that's all well and good. We'll take your word for it, 12 by 12 by 1,000, 144,000. But, but what we read here is about the 12 tribes of Israel. We read about Judah and we read about Reuben and Gad and Asher and Naphtali and Simeon and, and Levi and Issachar and on and on and all. This has got to be about Israel. This has got to be something to do with the Jews. Again, I humbly disagree. It is Paul who says in Galatians 6 and verse 16, Peace and mercy be upon us and upon the Israel of God, the church of Jesus Christ is the Israel of God. The church of Jesus Christ is not a New Testament invention, but the church of Jesus Christ is made up of Jew and Gentile, all who have looked forward in faith to Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary. Again, if you think that that's a bit of a stretch, read Hebrews 11. Read about the men and women of faith in the Old Testament who were indeed men and women, not of works, but of faith, looking forward to Jesus. This passage does not speak about an elite number of Jewish believers, but it speaks and symbolizes the church of Jesus Christ. And we know that because the order that the tribes are named is strange and, and unique in all of Scripture. 
Today, if you want to consider that, you get yourself back into the book of Genesis and you find any list of the 12 tribes and you will not find them listed in this way. For a start, and a very helpful start, Judah comes first. Now, Judah was not the eldest son of Jacob. Judah was not the number one son. And yet here, he is listed first. Do you remember just the other week that I was telling you about Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, here we see his bride, with Judah at the head of his bride. But as you go on down the list, and as you look, well, perhaps you will notice that someone is missing from the original list. Dan is not in this list. And we know that Dan is absent because the tribe of Dan was known for its idolatry. If you want to read about that, you can find it in 1 Kings 12 or you can find it in Judges 18. And so Dan is absent from this list and he is replaced by Manasseh. He is the son or one of the sons of Joseph, the eldest son of Joseph. And here he is in this list. What's the significance there? Well, he was... The son of Joseph, as I have said, but his mother was an Egyptian. He was born in Egypt. And so Dan is put out for his idolatry and Manasseh is brought in. And we are seeing here a picture of the church made up of Jew and Gentile. Made up of those born and reared in Israel and made up of those who will be brought in and trusting in Christ by faith. My friends, here is the church. Here is the 144,000 on this earth, a number of great size and significance, the 12 by 12 by 1,000, kept secure, known by Jesus, numbered and named. And we have the audacity to say today, lacking in faith, who can stand? Oh, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord forgive us our lack of faith. We will stand. The promise made to Father Abraham comes in Genesis 15 and 5. Yet Abraham is taken outside and he is told, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he was told, so shall your offspring be. My brothers and sisters, that day that Abraham was promised, so shall your offspring be. You were being talked about. Your place in the church of Jesus Christ was secure. Not based on your performance but based on the person and work of Christ. Today, if we quake, today, if we're not sure, if we look in the mirror and think, who can love me with our failed marriage, with our lack of faith, with our struggling wordless prayers, who can love me? My brothers and sisters, Jesus thought, Before the foundation of the earth, as the apostle tells us in Ephesians 1, Jesus laid his love upon you. Before the foundation of the earth, my friends, we were predestined for salvation. See, as believers, we live in weakness. We live in days of struggle. We live at times where the enemy is on our back telling us just how rubbish and useless we are. And then comes Revelation 7. Who can stand? The church. Sealed and numbered and named and bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. But as this chapter continues, it gets even better if that were possible. John, in the opening verses, sees the church on earth, the men and women of faith who will stand through days of tribulation and darkness and trouble. But then John looks, and he sees the church again, and this time they are before the Lord. In verse 9 we read, After this I looked, and behold, A great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to, the, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John looks again and he sees the church militant now being the church triumphant. He looks again and, and he sees a great multitude that this time no one can number. And this multitude is from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they are in their white robes. Their sins are not held against them. They've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. They're praising the Lord and they're crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. My brothers and sisters, today through faith in Christ, you one day will be included in that number. Today, even though we stand in weakness and we wonder what this world is coming to and we consider our own disobedience and our lack of faith, my brothers and sisters, let God be true and every man a liar. He has promised to save to the uttermost all who call upon him. And today, if we have called upon him and our faith is in Jesus, then we will be in this multitude. We will stand with our brothers and sisters from Asia and from Africa and from the Americas. We will stand with everyone who has ever called upon the name of the Lord. We will stand together in our white robes and we will sing praise forevermore. Here is our blessed hope. Oh, brothers and sisters, forgive me if I'm getting myself all worked up again, like the Glens have just won the league, but this is even better than, than something remarkable like that. We look in this passage and we've heard that there are difficult days ahead. We've looked and we've seen what we can expect on this earth. But the church will not be defeated. The church could be no more defeated than Jesus could be defeated. Sealed and named and numbered. Idolaters put out. The foreigners brought in. And Jesus at the head all moving towards the day that we will sing in a precious multitude, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, my friends, what a day that's going to be. What a wonderful, glorious, precious day that will never end. That is going to be and you, my brother or sister, in weakness, but also in faith, you will be there. Again, you think, Scott, is, is this a true interpretation of this? It is. We look in verse 11. And the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they too fall on their faces before the throne and they too worship God. And they say, Amen, and blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is a sevenfold blessing, a perfect blessing upon a perfect Lord. They are singing the praises of the King. And then the question comes in verse 13, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John replies, sir, you know in verse 14. And he is told, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Here is the church. Here is the bride with robes made white in the blood of the Lamb. I was once told, long ago, after choosing to sing one day at church, uh, that there is a fountain filled with blood. I was once told that it's, it, it's a Baptist hymn. We're not, we're not singing that, we're, we're Presbyterians. That song doesn't mean anything for us. What nonsense. The one who is to be saved must do business with Jesus. And how are we made clean? Our robes must be made clean in the precious blood of the Lamb. Our garments must be made spotless and washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. I thank God that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And I, a guilty sinner, Scott Andrew Woodburn, am declared righteous because my sins have been removed from me by that precious blood. This is the church 
They have come out of days of great trouble. Here described as the great tribulation. And again, this is a controversial phrase. Many describe it as a a time of trouble that the church will not go through. But again, I humbly disagree. Throughout the scriptures, we see that we are to expect days of tribulation, days of trouble. Indeed, John in Revelation 1 and verse 9 says that he is our brother and partner in the tribulation. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. And indeed, Paul in Colossians 1 and verse 24 says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The Christian church has always known tribulation. And if you don't believe that today, well, certainly we may not see too much of it in the West, but get yourself down to the Open Doors website and you read about what our brothers and sisters are going through right now. Days of tribulation. Days where they're not allowed to mention the name of Christ. Days that if they're found with the Bible can mean imprisonment or death. Days where they are imprisoned for no good reason and kept there for a long period of time with no excuse. Days of trouble for the Christian church have always been here and always will. My friends, the Lord has made it clear in his word that we will know trouble and tribulation. But with confidence we can read this passage today and we know that the church will come through the great tribulation. The church will stand after the great tribulation. And the church is made up of a multitude from all over this world whose robes have been washed clean in the precious blood of the Lamb. Thanks be to God for this comfort. See, we may worry and quake in these days of trouble. But there's no words of half-heartedness in Revelation 7. We're told that we will serve before the throne of God. We will serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne will be our shelter. And we will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike us, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is Jesus is in the midst of the throne, and he will be our shepherd. And he will guide us to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Oh, my friends, what a day it will be that there will never be another tear flowing down our cheeks. Do you not count the moments to that day? Do you not get fed up of going to funerals? Do you not get tired of the bad news that comes on WhatsApp and on phone calls? A day is coming for the church of Jesus Christ where every tear will be wiped away and the Lamb will be our shepherd and he will be in the midst of us forevermore. Here is what is coming. Here is what awaits. And here is why today we can be confident, even when in the depths of our soul we ask, who can stand? We will. We will. And my brothers and sisters, today, if you're worried, today, if the tears just won't stop, I want you for a wee moment just to reflect on that day or that moment that you were saved. Some of you will remember it vividly. Some of you will have lived lives where you will just have always known Christ as your saviour. You can't remember a day that you lived without him. For some of you it was last week. For some of you 20 years ago. But, But whatever, think on that day. Think of that night that you climbed into bed and prayed that the Lord would save you. Think of that time that your granny took you to the meeting and and something different happened that night and you came out of that meeting, out of that hall, redeemed. Think of that mission. Think of that moment on your mother's knee. Think of that sermon that was preached in that church. Think of that day, that moment, that hour, that time that you came to know Christ as your saviour. Think upon it. Because my brothers and sisters, in that moment, Jesus did not say, May go and obey and do your best and I might save you in the last day. That wasn't it. But that moment that you called upon him, 
the angels in heaven were rejoicing. And the Lord God Almighty declared you to be justified, righteous in his sight. And he does not take his word back. My brothers and sisters, weak and weary, we are, there's no doubt. But we are saved. We are in Christ. We will stand. A day is coming. A day of judgment. But the church can be confident when that day comes. And as we finish today, the seventh seal is open. And as you read the first six, and as you read the precious interlude that comes in chapter 7, well, when the seventh seal is opened, to some it might seem like a bit of an anticlimax. We read in chapter 8 and verse 1, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence. Silence. No tanks, no bombs, meteors, earthquakes, zombie apocalypses, none of that stuff that makes the movies. Just silence. My friends, the reality is when the judgment of God comes, when Jesus takes his place in the seat of judgment, what else is there to say? We see this silence throughout the scriptures. In Zephaniah 1, in verse 7, we are told, Be silent before the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. My friends, today I have preached this sermon, hoping to encourage my brothers and sisters in the church. But the church on earth, the visible church, is always a mixed body. There'll be those who truly know the Lord and those who put on a good show of it. It's always a mixed body. And I made a promise a long time ago that every time I preached, I would do my best to proclaim the gospel and to challenge those who had not yet received it by faith. And so I do that again today. Do not think, those of you who are outside of Christ, do not think that when the day comes, you will tell the Lord, you will Point your finger and you'll put him straight. Do not think that that will be. The seventh seal is open. And the world is confronted by the majesty and glory of God. And so silence, silence is the only response. But today here's your response. Those who do not know Christ, here is your response. I charge you in the presence of Almighty God today to call upon Jesus. To open your mouth today and to call upon the Lord. To open your mouth and to flee from your sins in repentance and to receive Christ by faith. I call you today to open your mouth before the day that there will only be silence. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In Church of Jesus Christ, as we remember today our great weakness, we remember too that the church will persevere.
to the end. It's not about our obedience. It's not about our performance. But it's all about the promise and the grace of God. Chapter 6 ends by asking, Who will stand? Today we have received the answer. Through faith in Christ, you will. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be ours now and forevermore. Amen.